You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 921 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. I'll be joined momentarily by Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops for a fun conversation about the state of the Hawks at the end of January and going into February. Before that, I want to plug a bonus podcast that I dropped on Sunday afternoon with some audio from Lloyd Pierce and some stuff about the, about the DeAndre Hunter injury, etc. So this, this will be my second podcast in about... I don't know, six, seven hours when it, when it when it posts. And we had a full episode structure last week with all the game breakdowns. And Ben Ladner joined me late in the week to wrap up the first quarter of the Hawks season. So plenty to get to on the podcast. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend and all of that fun stuff. Before we get to Glenn, a look ahead to Monday evening's game against the Lakers. The Hawks host the Lakers on Monday. LA is coming to town at 15 and 6 on the season. They are number one in the league in defense. They are awesome, of course. Top three record in the league when loss wise, top three net rating. And of course, the uh, title winning respect that comes from that from last season, LeBron and AD, etc. They're an awesome team. They're favored in the game, as we'll talk about in a second. I will point out that on the injury report, both LeBron James and Anthony Davis are mentioned. I will also point out that LeBron's been on the injury report for basically the entire season, has not missed a game yet. AD did miss a game last week. He's listed as questionable, so I understand both those guys listed as questionable, so that, that definitely matters, but context is important here, and LeBron has been questionable, for, I think, for every game this season or close to it. So I'm expecting to have both of them playing. It wouldn't stun me if either one of them sat, especially, especially Davis, but going in, questionable does not mean questionable in the same way for the Lakers, it seems, this season as it does for other teams. So I think the bookmakers are looking for those, those guys to play based on the number that I've seen out there in the market, including by our good friends at betonline.ag. And yeah, we'll see. But the Lakers are good, and they and they should have their uh, most of their cast intact for this one. Uh, before I get to the injury report for the Hawks and all of that stuff, some audio that I pulled from Lloyd Pierce on Sunday afternoon. He spoke to the media. A couple answers in addition to what I played for you yesterday about the Lakers specifically, so I will tee this up now. Sort of broadly speaking, the first question and the first answer that I'll play for you is about the Lakers matchup overall. Well, you know, I think it's... I think we've seen our guys um, perform extremely well against elite players in this league. Uh, it heightens our focus. It heightens our uh, competitive nature. It, it's human nature when LeBron walks into the gym that you know you've got to be locked in, you know, the night before, the practice before, and when you get to the arena. Um, and so it's just another, another challenge for us along the way. Every game to us matters. But human nature says that when LeBron and AD are on the court, KD and Kyrie and Harden are on the court, you know you're in for a long night, so you really got to lock in. And I think that's really what, you know, what tomorrow will be about. We understand that. Uh, they've proven as champions that they can weather any storm. Um, they've also shown that they can be vulnerable at times as well. And so we have to find ways to just make it tough. And we have to find ways to be at our best on both ends of the floor tomorrow night. Later on in the availability, Pierce was asked specifically what he thinks about his own team and what he expects from his own team against the Lakers. You know, I, I think um, I think we'll see a great commitment of our guys competitively. Um, you know, knowing the game plan is is what it is. You know, how do you stop AD in the post? How do you keep LeBron out of transition and in the paint? Um, and then how do you defend the movement? You know, they they have a bunch of guys that understand they're two elite players, draw a lot of attention. And they make it hard for you to, to really zone up behind them uh, with their activity and their movement. And so I, I think you'll see a, a great commitment from our guys to really lock into the game plan, lock into the details of uh, what we need to do to obviously stop LeBron and AD, but really make it tough for their entire team because they played well together. They know all the nuances of when to cut, when to hold. Um, so I, I, think, I think we'll be fine. I think our guys will be focused and locked in. And finally, there's the issue about dealing with LeBron James in a world without DeAndre Hunter. So I'm going to include the question for full context here, but Pierce revealed that Cam Reddish will be guarding LeBron. No big surprise there, but uh, here is the full question and answer about how that matchup will come to fruition. But I know, you know, one of your best defenders in DeAndre Hunter is going to be out tomorrow. 
And how does that affect your defensive strategy? I know the Lakers have a lot of guys you need to guard, but specifically LeBron, assuming that DeAndre was going to have that responsibility, how is that going to affect your defensive strategy? And would you throw somebody more like Cam at, at him tomorrow? Yeah, Cam's got him. I mean, that's, that's you know, it's no-brainer. We're, we're going with, with our other defensive um, weapon, and, and that's Cam Reddish. I think more than anything, you just lose the, the depth of DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish and Solo and John Collins. You, you're just taking – you're losing one extra guy that was going to be in that, that specific matchup. Um, so, yeah, it hurts not having DeAndre Hunter, but it's a next up we mentality that, that we focused on all year. And, um, you know, Cam will take the challenge and so will John and so will Solo and, 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 and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, anytime you lose depth, you, you, you have to find a way to, to move forward. But not without saying that, hey, we'll be all right without Dre. We, we'll miss Dre, but it has to be next man up. So there you have it, all the preview content that I have on this Lakers matchup. The Hawks, injury-wise, will be pretty clean in this game, at least on paper right now. Both Trey Young and Anyeke Kongwu are listed as probable in this game, with left knee soreness for Trey and left Achilles soreness for Anyeke. Probable usually means they're going to play, not a lock by any means, so that's something to keep an eye on. Elsewhere, Hunter, Bogdanovich, and Chris Dunn are all out of the lineup for Atlanta, but still a pretty short injury report compared to the recent past for the Hawks. As a result of all of that and the Lakers and all of that stuff as well, BetOnline.ag installs the Lakers as a six-point favorite, so the Hawks are a home underdog in this game. That is not a huge surprise. L.A. is better on paper than the Hawks are. Home court definitely helps, but not, not as much as, you might, as, as it might usually because of the lack of you know buzz in the buildings and all the protocols and all that stuff. There will, there will be fans at State Farm Arena, according to the uh, new provisions in Atlanta, but a limited fan base, of course. So, obviously, baseline is that the Hawks are not supposed to beat the Lakers, quote-unquote, at home. They certainly can. They're capable of beating the Lakers, for sure, in this spot. Actually, during the Trey Young era, they've actually played the Lakers reasonably well a couple different times. Last season, they got blown out once, but uh, we'll come back to talk about that, of course, after the game this evening, as you're listening to this, on Monday night, and we'll have full coverage of that contest. But that's the sort of primer for today's game, and we'll get into more momentarily with Glenn Willis. But first, a word from our sponsor on the podcast, and the first of which is 1010. Now, you may have read about it in the New York Times or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it also. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. When they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day this year, you're definitely going to want to check this out. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th. You can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. One more time, that is BlueNile.com. I'm joined now by good friend of the podcast, Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops, and occasionally of ATL and 29 fame. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I'm good. It's it's nice to have a Saturday Sunday with no no uh, Hawks game. Just a little a little breather for uh, those of us over that that uh, contribute to Peachtree Hoops. So good good weekend here, um, but ready for a busy week. Yeah, I was noticing that today, actually talking to somebody that's not in the Peachtree Hoops realm about how strange, I believe it's the first time this season, the Hawks did not play on the, on the entire weekend. So uh, a bit of a reprieve for us as we record this on Sunday evening. And by the way, that's there's another one coming up. The Hawks have a three-day break soon, February 7th through 9th. They don't play on Super Bowl Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. So that's going to be very, very weird to have three full days without a Hawks game. But. Yeah, that's that's still the Dwight uh, effect still lingering around the franchise. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Um, well, as I said before, I brought you in. You know, this is the last podcast of January as I record this, the first one of February as uh, people are listening to it. And since I have you here, I talked about some broad stroke stuff with Ben Ladner last week, and they've only had one game since then. But sort of taking stock, the Hawks are 10-9. and nine. Um they have top 12 units right now, at least on paper, on both offense and defense. They're top 10 in net rating. I guess my question to you would be a broad one. Like, how do you feel about the way the Hawks have played this season, taking everything into account from injuries to schedule and otherwise? I think it's been good. I, I know the a lot of the fans, especially the, I, I should say probably the more vocal fans, or some of the more vocal fans, 
would like to see their record better. Um, but you know, they've been solid and they've been they've tackled the areas I think were most important um you know, foundational kind of aspects for them to tackle this year. This this year being the first year they're really trying to accomplish something, you know. So to hit on it, the things I'm watching, you know, they're still really solid in transition defense. Coaches harp on that constantly, and that their organization in that area has been good, even with the guys coming in and out of the rotation of injuries. Their prioritization defending the paint and the rim has been solid, and that's been there the whole time. Um, and so, you know, those foundational areas, the turnovers are down, um, the ball sharing is is good, even with some of the guys that were supposed to be really integral there, like McDonavich. Um, and then Rondo being in and out. And, and so I'm just impressed that the plan has basically been the same since even the preseason, despite how many guys have kind of gone in and out game to game, week to week or whatever that's been. They've been basically doing the same things and they've been, in, from my observation, elevating their level of play. And I think they're doing a lot of things at a pretty high level. Uh, now it's just a matter of kind of con- some consistency catching up with them. But I think they've been really good um, even if there's, you know, a couple games that they obviously forfeited, you know, nice leads in the second half and didn't get those wins. Overall, I think they've been playing uh, really well, especially when you take into account some of the things they had to deal with. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And this is, uh, you know, it's not really a high baseline to work from. But if you look at last year, I pulled this up today and I was, I was, I was surprised, but not also not surprised. They're cleaning the glass page, which basically shows you the four factors um, on both on both ends of the floor. They are better at every single area, and really, I would say no, like pretty solidly better, like a ton better in every area, other than forcing turnovers. And that's not a problem. Like that's that's not the worst area in the world to be down a little bit in. Like they're way better in turnover turnovers offensively. They're substantially better on the glass at both ends of the floor. Turn, their free throw rates up at both ends of the floor. Everything's good compared to last season. Now, the schedule has been a little bit light so far. It's going to get it's going to get more difficult, but the injury stuff is real and yeah, I find myself every time I look at it right now, yes, they're 10 and 9. Should they be should they be 12 and 7 maybe? Yeah. But it's hard for me to be anything but like fairly positive about the way this has started, especially because I was building it and I wonder if you were as well, like the potential for kind of a slow start because of all the new pieces and kind of coalescing together. And obviously they haven't had the new pieces, but it's almost more impressive that they've been able to do this without them because as everyone has said numerous times, it's essentially last year's team at Capella and they're doing all of this anyway. So there's this natural progression, but does that all make sense? Like I was building in kind of a slow start anyway. I mean, the schedule was favorable, but you know, whatever. Yeah. I think everyone uh, mostly across the board thought continuity would help teams because of the abbreviated preseason and how close free agency the draft were to the start of the actual season this year and so i thought just performance wise it would take some time for them to kind of find some uh, chemistry and find some rhythm to to executing together but that's one of the reasons i have such a positive view on how they've done so far is because the performance in any of these critical areas or just kind of the composite performance really hasn't been wildly up and down you know game to game and as the rotation has changed as guys have gone in and out so my expectations were a little lower for, you know, the first you know month or so of the season, and we're, we're kind of right there. Um, but they've been, you know, really consistent, um, you know, in the areas that I think that they're emphasizing from the way I watch the game anyway. And that's, to me, that's that's exceeding my expectations for how that part of their, their performance has gone, is that they've found a some consistency in the areas that are a point of emphasis for them. I did not think that would happen with nine new, nine new guys on the team this quickly. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you. Um, you know, the offense is kind of interesting to talk about as well, but I want to open up with the defense for a second. You know, you are uh, certainly an X's and O's scheme person that I am not in a lot of ways, which I'm encouraged to have you on the podcast. But the Hawks are good defensively this season. They're top 10 in all of, uh, all of the overall metrics that you would look at. Um, there has been a little bit of shooting noise in there, but they've been obviously pretty solid or better defensively this season. I wonder, just sort of broadly speaking, what you have seen other than just having Capella, which definitely helps. Um, but what have you seen schematically? What have you seen sort of as a theme as to why they have been better defensively this season? Well, I, you know, I think part of that, I think, does go to the coaching staff. And, of course, I, I think we all know that when Lloyd Pierce was hired, 
um, now being, what, 19 games into his third season as head coach, that he came with a defensive reputation. And uh, and that's not just something that was just a perception around him. That's where he's been utilized, you know, even as assistant coaches, sort of uh, equal parts development and then kind of defense. Um, and, you know, the it's funny when I looked to in preparation for this, I, I, I looked at some of the numbers that you've already cited around offensive defense. And if you, if you would ask me, Glenn, at the end of January, this is where they're going to be. Which one of those numbers would you think is more real? I would say oh, easily the offense, but there are some reasons I look at that and think the defense is more real and more sustainable. Not, not that I think they're going to necessarily finish top 10, but we could talk about the offense later, but the fact that they have lineups, that allow them to pretty reliably switch one through four. And when they get Capella off the floor, they can switch one through five. That's not something they, I don't think they want to do a ton. Uh, not that we want to completely do another um, retrospective on that game. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they have the option to kind of, when they want to deny the dribble drive and force the ball you know, away from where the opposing offense really wants to you know attack, they have different versatile forms of lineups that they can go to. Um, and, you know, Capella is such a massive part of that story for sure. He's given them a defensive anchor that just really um, kind of works for them and helps them start from a good defensive uh, defensive foundation. And that's freed up Collins to do more of what he's been doing this year, which is getting out in the perimeter and, um, you know, being uh, a, a player that brings more defensive resistance. And that that allows them to kind of throw their wings more aggressively at what the opposing uh, offense is doing as well. So it's the ability to switch. It's the ability to not only do kind of what I would call universal switching, switch everything. Um, they're they're doing read-based switching, which you and I talked about a little bit in the preseason where the big – can see the play and kind of call the switch or not, or, or not, depending on what it, what the big sees. So it's just the versatility game to game and even quarter to quarter that they can implement with, a, like Wes, we said, with nine new guys, I'm shocked at like how much versatility and how much nuance there is on the defensive end of the court. But I think when, you know, ownership and Travis Schlank hired Lloyd Pierce, I think this is, you know, to some degree what they thought they were getting is a coach who could coach up that end of the court that well and I think I think a lot of that does go to coaching now without the personnel that they have right now including Capella and then the young wings and others um there's not there's not much that they could do but I think a lot of this um does reflect back on that coaching decision that was uh, coaching hire that was made you know um more than two years ago <laughs> now finally kind of coming to fruition and, and seeing what that Lloyd Pierce imprint on the team looks like and I, I think we're seeing it yeah I do too and I wonder how it's going to continue just because I brought this up with Ben kind of on the fly, kind of just came to me when we were talking, but I wonder if the defense, you know, just because the personnel might slow down a little bit because of more Gallinari and maybe more Bogdanovich. Um, on the, at the same time, they're going to have Chris Dunn at some point you would hope, and he'll help them defensively. So maybe that balances out a little bit, but do you think that just kind of having to play more defensive personnel is playing a part in this because obviously Capella and Collins and Collins has been really good this year defensively, but playing more Solomon Hill in place of Gallinari, for instance, like, is that something that's going to help that helps them so far that may have to slow down eventually? Because as much as we love Solomon Hill, he almost has to play less when Gallinari is at full strength. He does until Hunter went down and now we True. wonder if we'll see him more. <laughs> yeah. And now we wonder if we'll see him more at the three, but I know you're talking about more kind of at the, you know, four and five, uh, and, and I think that that's been a couple of things. One is like you said, Gallo being out, um, not that he's awful on defense, but he does limit what you can do. You don't want, he can't move. Switch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're going to do less switching and you're going to play more zone when he's on the floor, especially if he's on the floor against other teams, first units and against their primary creators. Um, but also a Kongu being delayed, you know, getting him out there has, uh, you know, I know that not, the fan base isn't terribly excited about Bruno Fernando right now, but he at least can has the, the basics down and he's kind of been coached in into the system of what they're doing for a while. And and he was playing reasonably well in the defensive half court for what you expect of a backup center that's playing for a stretch, you know, this season. Um and so I think the delay of getting a Congo on the court and the learning curve that they gonna have to accept with kind of working him into the rotation and then the absence of Gallo for a while did have them almost by 
forced deploying more defensive oriented lineups. Um, and we'll see, you know, uh, how that continues to go. I, uh, that came less to mind until you asked the question. And it's a great question, but it wasn't so top of mind because I still think where they're lacking on the defensive end of court more than anywhere else right now is point attack, uh, point of attack defense. Yeah. And the Hunter absence, depending on how long that actually is, is going to be, be pretty tough for them to deal with. As you, I know, you know, Hunter's been sort of the, the point guard defender for, you know, pretty consistently the last two to three weeks or so. And they're going to have to reshuffle responsibilities on the defensive perimeter. And that's where I have more questions. Um, and that's, to be frank, and kind of get ahead of maybe our conversation is, that's where, for example, Solomon Hill's not going to be quite as useful. He's a great backline defender. He's a great organizer. He's an awesome team defender and help defender. He's not so good at the point of attack. So it's not like they could just slide him in kind of the role that Hunter was in. They're going to have to shuffle um, shuffle how they staff their perimeter defense and it's going to be interesting to see how they do it so um i, I think this, the back line is solid i like how they make adjustments for when gallo plays and what they do with him and don't do with him i'm still concerned about that perimeter defense that point attack defense as, as being a, a, a thing that i have a harder time seeing how it's going to hold up and keep them for example being a top 10 defense yeah absolutely and i want to dive more into the hunter fallout and other stuff in a second but first a word from our sponsors on today's podcast and the first of which is betonline.ag the NFL season is coming to a close in the near future, but the biggest game of all is still to come. And with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus with the site. If you're listening to this show, you will undoubtedly know that the NBA is now in full swing. On top of that, basketball fans may also be interested in jam-packed college basketball slates virtually every night of the week. And from there, the matchup for all the marbles in the NFL is now set. And there are other sports also worthy of your attention, from hockey to soccer to MMA and baseball is coming soon. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline on any sport you can think of. And BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering options, future bets, alternate lines, and much, much more. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course my personal favorite in cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now. And use the promo code Locked On when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com. Promo code Locked On for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, Glenn, let's... Go back and talk about Hunter a little bit. Obviously, I touched on it earlier on yesterday's podcast and the on the short emergency uh, extra show that I did, as well as before I brought you in today. But Hunter is going to be out for at least Monday, hopefully not too long. Lloyd Pierce was pretty optimistic in the audio that I was playing for the people on the podcast about maybe he's even back this week. We'll see. But in the meantime, you talked about his point of attack. It's it's a big thing for Hunter. He's been on the on some smaller guards this season. Obviously, he's been a two way force offensively as well. It's not just one guy, but I was going to ask you like what you think happens here because I brought up Tony Snell to Lloyd and played the audio of his response to that. But they don't have a perfect option right now. Obviously, Cam Reddish will play a lot more. But in the meantime, Hunter has been so valuable this season overall that being without him for even if it's just, just for one or two, three games is a big deal because he kind of does a lot for them on both, on both ends of the floor. Yeah, and if you like ask me the really hard question, are they going to miss him more on offense or defense? That's a hard. That's that, a tough that was one. coming. I was I was going to ask you that. <laughs> Let's just do it now. Um, it's and that's that's so hard. If if Gallo weren't back, 
I would def I would probably say offense is going to be where the impact was, but Gallo can help make up. I think so much of what some of um, what he was doing. He obviously doesn't play the same position and doesn't get put into all the same action. But you know, on the, um, to kind of go back to to the defensive end, you know, this is where they really miss Dunn. If, if Dunn were available to kind of slide in, they would maybe kind of not miss a beat, you know, splitting the primary defensive assignment across Hunter and Reddish the way they have been and, and maybe sliding Reddish up to start the game in that role and then bringing Dunn off the bench to kind of, um, you know, fill those other minutes. And, and right now they just don't really have that. Um, you know, I, Tony Snell can, is a little bit of a sneaky, solid point of attack defender, but uh, to be frank with you, I have no idea, first of all, what kind of shape he's in, and second of all, who he is right now, because, you know, you know, you know, last year he played that was ahead of the injury that he dealt with, and he's one year older now, so it's really hard to kind of know what he really has. Can he get back to what he was, you know, say, a couple of years ago in Milwaukee, where he was a really, you know, solid guy? I have no, no clue what that is. A good one is can be really useful, you know, um, in, again, in certain matchups to offer another, you know, factor of depth there, like against the Clippers. Um, he was for sure game plan to defend Lou Williams, like almost his Lou Will's entire time on the court. Um, but you know, that's a guard. That's not a wing that that's not a LeBron type or, you know, that that's not even something they can throw at Doncic when they get to Dallas if Hunter, you know, would unfortunately still be missing then. So, so defensively, it's really having someone that they can throw at, you know, bigger creators like Doncic, smaller creators like, uh, Dane, you know, and they, and you could put Reddish into that, um, role, but then you lose Reddish as a disruptor off the ball when he's on the court at the same time. So, because they have Gallo back, I think the biggest impact is going to be on defense. And and like I said before, it's the ability to put someone that can, has some shot at containing some of the best offensive players in, in, in the league, some who they'll see in the next week or two. Yeah, I mean, simply put, this is probably overstating it a little bit in terms of, of, of simplicity, but if you look at the roster right now of who's available, you know, being without Hunter defensively means that they really only have one defense first wing that they absolutely trust in Cam Reddish. Like, Snell might be okay. Uh, I liked Snell, but he's not been fully in the rotation just yet. Um, other than that, you know, Herter's been a little bit better defensively this season, but he's not great by any means. And they don't have those, like, primary defensive guys other than Cam, so that, that's a pretty obvious loss. And Herter's been, I, I argued on the recent podcast with Ben, I think he's been better offensively than defensively for his career so far, almost pretty clearly. But defensively, he's been better this season, and they you, you just can't replace what he's able to give you with what they have on the current roster. So it's a two-sided problem without Hunter. And again, hopefully he'll only miss one or two games, and we'll see when he comes back. But, you know, being without him against the Lakers, it's already it's already a tough task. It's just, a, it's just one game out of 72. But playing the reigning champs, uh, presumably at reasonable strength, and I know LeBron and AD are on the injury report, but those guys have been on the injury report all season long. It'd be nice to have DeAndre Hunter. That's not breaking news, but uh, he he does he, he just does a lot for them on both ends. And you know Pierce talks about him all the time like that, but it's very clear how valuable he's been so far. Yeah, I know. I I've been on the same mindset as you that he's really he. You know, I think you and I both have shared thoughts with one another that he entered the league with a more advanced offensive game, the defensive game, a more NBA ready game on that end. Um, and then, you know, you know, Pierce was talking in the preseason. I guess we heard it actually directly from Hunter. Hunter saying, coach told me I'm our best defensive player. Yep. And I was like, I'm not sure <laughs> if that's like a coach you know, telling a player what he needs to hear to motivate him or if that's actually, you know, what his head coach believes. But they did. They, um, they have said know. that multiple times now. I mean, I'm not again, I'm not I'm not sure it's true, but uh, Pierce did say that as well. So, like, yeah, it's been out there. Yeah, it. It almost can't be true right now just because of what Capella has brought that they is you know, probably as irreplaceable as anything because of how important that defensive anchor and that backline, especially to what Pierce has them doing, that Definitely. communicator, that recognition back there. Uh, but on the offensive end, you know, I look at this as being more specifically impactful to Trey than the team. And that's not to say there's not an impact to the team. They will miss him. Second leading scorer, tremendous efficiency ability to score at all three levels. But, you know, we saw this start last season when opposing teams would, you know, kind of switch out and put, you know, their best defensive wing on Trey um, you know, with two goals. One is to just have a bigger body in front of him, but the second goal being to wear him down across the game. 
that's when the Hawks would just choose, okay, if you're going to do that, we're going to put Hunter down on the post against your guard and let him go to work. And he's been quite successful doing that. So that gives Trey a break. It, it have to attack a bigger defender, you know, for the entirety of his time on the court. And that's going to be something they don't really have. I mean, I don't know. A lot of fans like to argue about whether Hunter or Reddish has a brighter future. And, you know, we, I'll leave that to the conversation to them. But one thing that's definitely different is that Reddish doesn't have a post game or even a face-up game in the way that Hunter does to attack the smaller defenders when that, when the opposing defense, you know, goes with that cross match. Now, can will they be able to kind of force some switches and get Collins using his you know back to the basket and face up games to kind of attack that in a way? Sure, but it's going to take more nuance and it's going to take uh, you know m- more involved uh, more more players than just the two of those guys being involved to kind of make that happen, and that's going to chew up the shot clock and things like that. So on the defensive end, I see the massive gap defending at the on the perimeter at the point of attack on the offensive end. I see someone that's been specifically helpful to Trey as being where I'm going to kind of try to keep an eye on how they're going to find a way to replace what he was doing in the sense that he could offer a way to push back when other teams want to cross by on the Trey. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, and honestly, you know, I was going to ask about the offense in general. I don't know. The, the offense has been good by any description. I think this is about what we expected on the overall production level. But it feels like to me, the offense is actually not even there yet, which is crazy because they're a top 10 offense. But when you factor in, you know, the lack of Gallo so far, Bogdan not really doing much before he got injured and then get, then getting injured. Obviously, Hunter's been better than expected. But what are you seeing offensively? Because, you know, Trey's running into form now. He's been really good the last several games in a row. And he got some, he got some praise from national voices the last few days. And he looks like himself. He's been really good. But... Are you seeing anything offensively that is like opening your eyes schematically that is like kind of pointing to why this team's been able to still be pretty good without a lot of key pieces? Free throws. <laughs> that helps. They are number one in the league. Number one in the league in free throw rate. So there you go. Yeah. And that, that's the thing that makes you ask yourself, you know, how you know truly sustainable is that? And the flip side of like, okay, well, if they're 11th and they're leading the league in uh, you know, volume and, you know, actual points at the free throw line, you know, what's missing. And basically they've gotten almost nothing out of like, their spot up opportunities. Um, now Gallo is, uh, in my view, their best shooter. And one of the, you know, if you count for how hard it is to defend him as a shooter, I think he's one of the best 10, if not five best shooters in the league in terms of, you know, how hard he is to defend. Um, and so that's been a, a huge factor into um, their difficulty creating shots, and especially with Trey's strength of creating shots for teammates when he draws so much attention to himself, I think they're you know they're bottom ten and three point percentage, uh, and they're built to be way better than that as a team that shoots from the three point line. Um, so, if, if the free throw um, volume falls off, I think there's plenty of room for their three point shooting to improve. And in the sort of the exits in those department, the one big change I've seen of recent that is, I find really interesting is when Gallo went down, they basically dumped most of their what we might call their four outsets um, and went back to double drag, which was a great fit for Capella and Collins kind of working together. But now that Gallo's back, um, Gallo's just you don't, you just don't want him taking on so much contact, the kind of movement it takes to get in, in and out of a screen, um, you know, is just harder work for a guy like him. Not that you never want to use it because he's a great pick and pop option, but they've gone very specifically to more four out and using the power forward position as uh, a, a position they want to spot up uh, often in a corner. And, and that's even impacted the way Collins is being deployed. Um, and so the way that they have, uh, schematically kind of change what they're doing with that little wrinkle, how they use the power forward, I think it's going to generate more makes from the three-point line. And so that's where I'm a little bit encouraged. Like, I have no doubt that they're better than a bottom 10 uh, shooting team from the three-point line. I think they're at least league average, if not, you know, probably maybe even knocking on the door being top 10 there. Um, is what Trey's doing specifically at the free throw line sustainable? I have no clue. I've never seen a guy that size kind of do, do what he's doing. Um, but with Gallo back and with their um, intent to really use Rondo and Gallo to kind of cultivate second unit 
offensive production, I see a lot of, um, you know, space for them to continue to do things and uh, function at a higher level offensively than we've even seen so far, even though they're, they're 11th now. So that that's sort of a um, kind of the end, the end look offensively that I'm seeing right now with Gallo back being that is opening up a ton, even though they're just kind of dropping Collins into that same, same template that they have with Gallo. Yeah, you, you you bring up the layer a little bit with the double drag stuff with Collins and Capella, but that's a, that's a talking point that everybody's been talking about forever now. And now that they're winning a little bit more, it's quieted down. But during their downturn, there was a lot. It sort of came back up about you know can those guys play together? Should those guys play together offensively? I think defensively, it's it's unquestionably worked so far, at least in a conventional sense. Uh, the Brooklyn game is something separate where you're trying to guard a very small, very good offensive team. But aside from that, it's the numbers are great defensively with Collins and Capella playing together. I'm more interested, honestly, offensively with what you have seen because you mentioned the double drag stuff, but do you think that's a sustainable model? I know you and I kind of liked it coming into the season more than some others, but do you kind of buy those guys playing together as a primary offensive unit that can, you know, sustain like very, I would say very uh, successful efficiency? It's still a question that I have. I, and the question is not, might it not work? I think it's going to work fine. The question I have is, can they get to where they could possibly get offensively? Could they get to be like a top eight offense, for example, a top seven offense and into that range, almost a top five, if they're playing Capella and Collins together a lot? I think that's still a very fair question for all of us to have. And a lot of that comes down to watching things like can Capella and Collins learn to pass to one another? Can they, you know, you don't want them doing uh, kind of complex, fancy type of passes, but when one of them kind of is threatening the rim and draws one or two defenders at them, can that little a little like dump off pass or a little you know kind of baseline squeeze pass or something like that happen? And so it's really for me if I see them start to use one another and work in tandem together as the defensive attention is drawn um, towards one. That to me, if we start to see that, and I think we're, I think they're a long way away from that right now, to be honest about it. That's what would make me think, okay, this might work and this might be appearing that they could use a lot and still get into that stratosphere offensively that's possible. Without them learning to, you know, play off one another and leverage one another, they're probably going to be capped at right around where they are now, you know, you know, right on the, right at top 10 or just outside the top 10 as they're as, as the best. And then if you look at, Gallo is the guy who would help them get into that stratosphere offensively, whether that's him playing at the five instead of Capella or at the four instead of Collins. Um, and so I still have the question around, will that cap their ceiling? It, although I'm not um, fatalistic about it, like I said, if they can learn to leverage one another and play off of one another, I think that opens the possibility for them getting that stratosphere. But right now, they're not there yet together for me to think it could be that good. Yeah, I think I agree with all of that. You know, it kind of, it's not that they can't work. I think they, I've already proven that they can on some level. And the defense is so much better when those guys play in general together than any, any other group of the Hawks have been playing so far that that doesn't, um, that doesn't hurt, obviously. You want to be good defensively. And their best defensive lineup, almost certainly, I, I would say against most matchups, the vast majority of matchups, um, includes both those guys playing together. So For sure. that helps a lot. Um, I agree with the, with the passing thing. Right now, it's more like I make a note of it whenever I see a good pass from one to the other because they're not that they're not that they're not that frequent, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. They're gonna have to get better at that. And neither one of those guys is a great passer. That's probably maybe John's worst offensive skill. He's still he's he's an okay passer, but he's not a great passer. And click and click is not really like a guy who catches and passes very much or very often. So you get the, those combinations. You're playing some high low stuff with those guys. I want to see what they sort of morph into. And also, with Gallo back, they almost certainly will play less together just because of the math of it. Like, Gallo's going to play more. Eventually, you would assume Akongwu will play a little bit more as well. Because right now, you know, for vast majorities of games or even full games, they've got, they've gone through 48 minutes with those guys playing center entirely with just the two of them. And that's going to probably stop now, at least on some level with the Kong Wu back. And, uh, you know, Gallo functionally is almost a center on defense when he plays uh, with the way that he, uh, with the way that they deploy him. So I don't know. It's pretty interesting to monitor. And I think the returns are pretty good so far because Capella is just playing great. And so is John defensively. And that really helps things. But it's an ongoing subplot for the offense. Just kind of like you said, it's like they're already pretty good, but does it limit their ultimate upside offensively? We'll see. But it's also, it's kind of a rich man's problem in some ways. Like, 
they're they're still pretty good with, with those guys because of the defense already and with the way that both are playing it's not a problem at all it's just a ceiling question yeah it's for me it's it's nice to have a question about them to say what how how might this look in March as opposed to oh my god they're they're you know well outside of the playoff you know uh, bubble looking in even early in the season and getting buried in the standings you know I I think there's plenty of time and plenty of runway to see if those two guys can start to learn how to uh, leverage one another and and help uh, one another um, they played what I think like 16 games together, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a ton, you know, I think Capella missed the first two. So maybe, maybe 17 games together. It's a very, um, it's a very small number. Cause Capella missed one more. I'm looking it up right now as we're talking like even total minutes wise with those guys, it's a pretty modest figure just in general. And yeah, I'm looking it up now. I have it in front of me and this is great audio. I know, but yeah, 16 games and 293 minutes. And to back up what we're saying They've been pretty good offensively, a 111 offensive rating, which is about what they are in general overall. But, Glenn, I'm going to ask you to guess right now on the podcast what their, what their defensive rating is with the two of them together. Well, it's going to be a little bit – I say it's going to be a little bit cheap because I've looked – or I saw it on Twitter a few games ago, and it was it, it, it was at the highest around 97 or so. Yeah, it's currently 95.1. So Yeah, that's – that might be unsustainable. It, I mean, that that is unsustainable. But honestly, it's it's as crazy as this whole thing is. You know, the Hawks' numbers with the stars on the court, just any of them, basically. Like with Trey's on off, numbers are great. So are Johns. So are Clint's. So are DeAndre Hunter's. But of all the lineups that they, that they played, more all the two man groups, I should say, that have played more than hundred minutes, the single best two man unit they have is Capella and Collins, in net rating. So. Yeah, I know. And it's interesting to me. Um, I'd be interested to know if, if you're kind of seeing this too. From last year to this year, the Hawks are such a uh, perfect case study and how valuable it is to not be awful in a few key areas. So like, for example, last year, they were the worst in a, an opponent points in the paint. This year, it's still bad, but there's some nuance there that we, I won't bore people with. But they're at league average at opponent's second chance points. And I think they were like bottom two or three all year last year there. Last year they were like, I think the worst and or bottom two or three at a point opponents points off turnovers and they're top 10, one of the 10 better teams there. And so in a few key areas, and like this part of this goes back to transition defense and, you know, not that we want to get in depth there. We bore your listeners talking about <laughs> how that works, but but the fact that they've gotten to league average and second uh, second chance points allowed better than league average, and uh, opponents points off turnovers just to not suck in a few key areas like that and get to even league average has so much value in trying to move the needle overall and to having games that go from you have no chance to win to having winnable games. And so I think there's such a great case study in going from awful to decent in the, some of the key areas. That's a great point. I mean, it's something that gets overlooked. I mean, we all focused on some of the really, really poor aspects of last year's team. and But it can't be overstated how much it helps to not be terrible at anything. Like, And the Hawks really are not terrible at anything right now. The only thing that they're actually bad at right now is forcing turnovers defensively and like that does matter you'd like to do that a little bit and you have some but when you dominate the glass the way they have and and you can test shots it's not the worst thing in the world yeah yeah so i mean they're 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 prioritizing paint in the rim and so you're gonna have just as a result sort of that formula you're gonna have fewer defenders out on the perimeter or fewer defenders in passing lanes and I mean, who knows that maybe that's an evolution that that comes in the last third of the season where they like, okay, we're solid enough here to add another kind of layer to what we're doing here, become more disruptive. But if you look at how they're defending and schematically, and in terms of the type of help defense they're asking their off-ball defenders to to kind of engage in, not a surprise that not forcing a lot of turnovers. That's just not what they're trying to do right now. Well, and also. This may, this may not be true, but I would argue of all the four factors on both sides of the floor, the one that I would choose, if you if you said, all right, you have to be bottom five in one category, I think I might choose defensive turnover rate. Just because it's been proven you can be a good defense without without causing turnovers. The Bucks last year were like a bottom five turnover creation team, and they were number one in the league in defense. Like, you can, you can build a defense that's good without creating a lot of turnovers. It's been done. Yeah. 
Yeah, and eventually I think we need to break that stat in half and measure live ball versus dead ball turnovers because live ball turnovers have such incredible value. And dead yeah. ball turnovers, basically, it's less valuable, apart from the defensive stop, it's less valuable than a missed shot because you get to go back and set your defense, you know? So we're going to have to get more nuance in that area and how we measure that kind of at the top level. I, I know some people are doing that, but... Um, you know, just we kind of throw it out there, and it's such it's it's like measuring, not not just apples and oranges, like apples and sharks, you know, in the same kind of thing, totally different things. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But anyway, that was sort of a uh, sort of an aside, but that worked out. You know, the Hawks are playing well. We we talked about a lot of a lot of different stuff here. Before I get your thoughts on the upcoming week, which we will definitely end with, uh, anything else that you uh, had in mind that you wanted to share with listeners uh, that you wanted to get off your chest? I know we've, we've covered a lot of ground here in sort of haphazard fashion. No, I th- the thing for me, I think, is just, you know, if, if, if any of your listeners want to kind of watch along with me is notice how Collins' opportunities on offense go up with when for whatever period of time Hunter misses, they're going to need his easy offense and um, and replacement of Hunter. And then also notice if you can see that Gallo's return has Collins operating in different parts of the offensive half of court uh, and how that I think is going to fit into Collins' hands to be a little bit more involved, get a few more shots and more touches and things like that. So that's that's what I'm watching going into this week, and obviously all all of us are you know looking at how they try to hold up on the perimeter defensively, especially as they face um, you know, LeBron and Luca, and you know, um, and I know Toronto doesn't really have um, you know the big threat on the wing right now, but they're as good at attacking specific defenders like a Trey or like a, a wing that might be out there. So that's that's what I have my eyes on this coming week. I know you want to get into the schedule, but it, it, the things kind of the they're dealing with right now it's how do they bump up Collins usage to help with um, Hunter's absence on offense and then on the other end how do they deal with some of the bigger creators they're going to encounter no that, that's a good primer for sure on what's going to be happening and my only my way to get into this a little bit and we don't have to spend too much time on it is you know the schedule this week is, is well known at this point but it's four home games it's Lakers on Monday, then Mavs Wednesday and Jazz Thursday and a back-to-back, and then the Raptors on Saturday. Someone asked me this today on Twitter, and I, I, I'm wondering what you will think. Knowing what we know now, which is not a ton, but Hunter is going to miss for sure Monday, and I would uh, be shocked if he played in the other three games, all of them anyway. But he's out. The schedule is what it is. Dallas is playing not very well right now, but Utah has been fantastic this season. Toronto is fighting their form. Do you think, you know, this is way too simplified, but I feel like two and two is like kind of a success, which is crazy for a pretty good team on a four game homestand, but the schedule is pretty, pretty brutal. So what are you thinking about like, what's the, what does success look like? I know you're going to give me an answer that's like more X to nose base, which I, I appreciate you for, but uh, I don't know. What's, what does success look like this week? Well, you know, I, I do think it is adjusting schematically for Hunter's absences in, and not, taking three games to get that done if he's going to be out as long as I feel like he's probably going to be. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to be surprised if he plays more than a game this week, just based on, because of how busy the week is and, and yeah. things like that. And we're, and you're we're, talking... all, we're all guessing. I was surprised to hear how optimistic Lloyd sounded. And I know I said that, I said that audio to you as well. And it's on the podcast um, that was on right. yesterday's, but yep. even with that, I still would be surprised if he played before Saturday, but it's not, it's not impossible anymore. I was thinking he was going to miss the whole week until today. Yeah. But if I could set aside X's and O's for a second and just kind of think about, you know, just even just as a fan watching, you know, the way to try to go two and two, which will be fine, totally fine, good, good. I even call it a good outcome is to be competitive at all four games it is to not get like knocked out of one of these games, like in the second quarter. <laughs> and so the way that you go two and two in a stretch like this is to be solid and, and, you know, all four games and to give yourself a chance to be in all four games in the fourth quarter, um, even if you're a little bit undermanned, um, um, that's the route to doing it. So, you know, I would rather see them be solid across all four games and only get one win than to kind of luck into two wins and get totally blown out with two other wins. Because I think where I see them playing well, where I see them being really solid 
consistency is the thing that's going to kind of really be the thing that carries them to a good outcome this year. And so I, even if it's, uh, you know, one fewer wins than a two and two would give them being solid and consistent is something that's going to make me feel more optimistic about them across the broader view of the season. Um, so I'd love two and two, but more than that, I'd love them to be in all four games, be solid to be competitive all four games and just give them a chance to win, you know, all four games. And you never know that you might get three and in a crazy scenario, you might get four. Um, but that that's more of how I'm looking at these games coming up. Yeah. I think honestly, the, the hardest game is not Monday. Uh, you know, Monday Lakers are the best team they're playing because the Lakers are awesome. But Thursday against Utah is brutal. Uh, Utah is playing out of their minds and the, and the uh, Hawks will be on a back to back. That might be dif- more difficult than the Lakers game just on paper. So, uh, yeah, and, well, and Utah is, I think, the team in the league is playing most consistently at a high level. The, the Lakers, you know, I mean, we all know they played, you know, a, a lot of the guys that are still on the team played all the way down into the finals and, um, and they have a, a, an older you know, team that's going to have to turn the defense on and off. And, and if Anthony Davis is just going to need to, you know, rest the game now, and then he's just not set up to you know, take kind of the physical play at the four and the five, the way that, you know, some other guys are. Um, so that Utah, I think is the hardest team to encounter right now on like a random Wednesday or Thursday night. <laughs> um, and then, and then if you can't kind of game plan for Rudy, he, he just throws a ton at you that's really super hard to deal with. It makes you ask yourself things like, can we play our rookie at backup center in this game or not at all? <laughs> you know, so it's I, I agree with you. That's the one that looks the hardest because of the schedule being the second of the back-to-back. But also, I just think that they're playing more consistently at a high level than in a team in the league right now. So it's it's a tough week. But, it's uh, it, you know, if you can stomach uh, heading into the unknown of the week, it's a chance to see, like, okay, where where is this team? Can they bring competitive, you know, composed play in a tough week and be consistent enough to give them a chance to make all four games winnable? That'll that'll give you tell you something about this team that we maybe didn't know before this week. Absolutely, and that is uh, that's well said, uh, Glenn. Thank you for all the time. Uh, I would recommend everyone follow Glenn on the Twitter machine at Willis underscore Glenn. Is that correct? I believe it is. That's right. It's not. Uh, great, great account to follow. Also, all of his work, all of his work at com, uh, videos, analysis, all of that stuff. I learn things editing Glenn on a regular basis. I would encourage people to check it out because uh, Glenn's very smart, as you can probably tell on this podcast. But uh, X's and O's are not my main thing, and Glenn uh, is much smarter at them than I am. So follow Glenn. That's all I'll say about that. Appreciate those kind words, Brad. Yes, sir. Uh, and we'll, we'll have you back on the podcast soon enough. I try to let you uh, visit with Kevin more often, and Kevin's probably listening to this, and he's yelling at the, at the, uh, at the iPad or phone or whatever that you are on this podcast instead of his. But he'll be, you'll be back on his podcast, I'm sure, pretty soon. So I'm not worried. Yeah, I, I always enjoy chatting with Kevin, so check, check those out, uh, out I do, as well. I, I do not enjoy ch- chatting with Kevin. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin and I, uh, I, I put forth the, uh, the Statler and Waldorf gift the other day. Uh, we have a fun relationship and one day i'll have kevin back on this podcast i that's one where uh the crossover it might just break the internet if kevin and i talk on the same podcast so we're not allowed yeah, you, to do you, that. you guys might accidentally morph into a, a like an nba like uh local broadcast crew <laughs> kind <laughs> the of that, the way that those kind of come can come across at times during games and you're like uh, you know um but it would be a good version of that for certain alas <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Glenn. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. Check out my written work if you'd like to at and we will see you all next time.